Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. All right. Good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing? Please excuse me as I have a bit of a cough today, so I'll do my best to not do that. But let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. We pray that this morning as we look into your word, you would enlighten us, you would give us wisdom, you would give us application. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have a long verse today. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this. Hopefully you've already read this. I'm going to read it in sections and then we'll do it that way so that we don't lose context. Oops. So here we go. We are in Luke 18. And quick question. How are you guys doing with the fast? Everyone doing okay? It is day five. So we're doing pretty good. Excited to see what God is doing in and through you through the fast. Okay. So Luke 18. Um, it starts off parable of the persistent widow. Make sure I'm in the right place. Yep. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God, take note, or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Very interesting motive there. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? Who cry out to him day and night. Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So I'm going to stop there with those first six verses. Um, back up to my notes here. Okay, so bottom line is in this parable, Jesus is saying, Hey, be persistent in prayer. You know, don't give up. And the purpose of the parable is that we don't lose a heart in prayer. Um, all kinds of obstacles will come in our way, right? And so the way of effective and constant prayer is essential. So Jesus knew that we needed to be both taught and encouraged always to pray. He goes on to say, don't lose a heart, right? Because we often become discouraged. Now, why why do we lose heart? Well, it's easy to lose heart in prayer because prayer is hard, right? It's not it's not easy. And um, in Colossians four verse twelve, Paul praises um, a guy called, if I can say this correctly, Epaphras, because he was always laboring fervently in prayer. So Paul knew that prayer was hard work. 
and required fervent labor, uses that word fervent. Now, why should we be consistent and fervent in prayer? Well, it's one reason is because the devil hates prayer, right? If prayer were powerless, it would be easy and the devil would leave us alone. We know that's not true, so we have to be fervent and consistent in prayer. So I think in possibly in your life, my life, sometimes prayer becomes a last resort, right? Instead of a first resource. And we come to God as a last thing. But therefore, bottom line, we should be consistent in prayer. A couple of examples. Remember the woman of Canaan kept praying that she was first denied. Jacob refused to let go. Even when his leg was crippled, Rachel said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. So these were all people that were refusing to lose heart in prayer. So a couple of things about prayer. Does God always say yes? No. He has three answers, right? Yes, no, or wait. And uh, sometimes God is saying, um, not now, because maybe there's something I need to do in you. Maybe there's something in your life that I need to bring into alignment with my will. So as you pray, don't always be looking for the answer first, but also be looking for what is God trying to do in me in the situation that I'm in, in the thing that I'm going through. Does that make sense? All right. I'm going to go on to this next section, or that same section, the parable of the widow and the unjust judge. So I'm just going to backtrack to where it said in verse um, 4. Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. So what do we know about this guy? We know that this judge was ungodly, both as a man and a judge, right, was not a God follower. Yet in the end, he answered the woman's request. And why? The only reason he did that, because he wanted her to stop bothering him. Now, the unjust judge reluctantly answered the woman's request. Um, Jesus did not give this parable to say that God was like that, but rather that God was unlike this unjust um, judge. God loves to answer our prayers, right? It even helps um, teach us to pray. God is on our side when we pray and not against you like this um, unjust judge who was against the widow. Now, sometimes it seems that God is reluctant to answer our prayers, yet um, delays in prayer are not there to change God's mind, right? But they are there to change us. Persistence in prayer, what does that do? It brings a transformation into our lives because maybe God is trying to build character into us, right? So it's not always immediate. There's a journey and a process of what God is doing in us. Um, it's a way that God builds into us a heart that cares about the things the same way he does. So sometimes through the process of continual prayer, God is trying to help us see things the way that he sees them, because we don't always see things through God's eyes. Now, there's several contrasts between this judge 
and the God will use our praise, right? The judge was unfair. God is fair. The judge had no personal interest in the widow. But on, in contrast to that, God loves and cares for you and for those who come to him and petition him. The judge answered the widow's cry out of pure self-interest, right? He was like, I need to stop this woman. I don't want her to attack me. But then in contrast, God loves to bless his people for their good also because he's a good guy. Okay. Um, let me one second here. Okay. Um, there's the line that says, and God... And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Um, another thought to consider here that Jesus was possibly talking about the persecuted believers at the time, right? Who longed for justice and would cry out day and night for God to avenge them. And those who, those who are dealing with persecution, and I don't think we really understand today what persecution means in the biblical context, but there are those, um, there are people who are dealing with some form of persecution every day. And he's saying that, you know, those that are dealing with persecution need special grace to persevere and not to lose heart in prayer. And I don't know what you're going through, um, what struggles you have, but God is saying, you know what? Hang in there. I'm with you. I'm always with you. I hear you. Um, let me work in you too. Um, we need to be assured that God is not like the unjust judge. So we need to keep praying to the Lord who will, who will resolve all things righteously. A few things about, about who God is. Right, Our God is a righteous, wonderful judge. We come to a judge of perfect good character. We come to a judge who loves to care for his children. We come to a judge who is kind and precious. We come to a judge who knows us, right? Unlike that judge, we have a God who is a judge who knows us and cares about us. We come to a judge with an advocate, a friend, right? The Holy Spirit, who will plead our case before God. We come to the judge who promises to encourage us. We come to a judge with the right of constant access, right? That's incredible that we have constant access to God, a judge who has a personal interest in our case. Are we good so far? Everyone tracking with me? Okay, great. This is a very long chapter, so I'm trying to break it down a little bit. Okay. Now, um, verse 9 through 14, we come to two friends. Well, not friends, two people, parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Um, let me read from verse 9. Okay. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. So this Keep in the back of your mind, we're talking on humility here. Um, two men came up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you. Now, take note of this verse. Um, notice the, um, the reference to I. God, I thank you that I am not like 
other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. All right, so keep that in this one guy in contrast to verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Verse 14, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. And we'll break that word down a little bit. But all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. So if you remember, was it um, in this last week, I believe we had um, one of the soaps was the first will be last. And so just keep that in the back if you mind. So we have two men uh, that go up to the temple to pray. Both men pray, right? But both, they don't, do not pray the same way. So the Pharisee goes up, he prays, and he's basically talking to himself. He uses the word I five times, right? Now, it's possible to talk to God, but actually be completely focused on yourself, just like this Pharisee was, right? His passion was his agenda, not God's. And um, your attitude might be, is my will being done and not God's will being done? Don't be like the Pharisee, bottom line, right? Now, this Pharisee was looking for um, special merit because he mentions, yeah, I fast twice a week. And something to be aware of in those days, um, Jews fasted on the second and the first day of the week. Um, it was connected to when they believe uh, Moses went up the mountain on the first day, you know, to receive the law, and he came down um, on the second day of the week. Now, you know, to get special merit, you know, people would also fast on a Monday and a Thursday. So this tax collector is drawing all this attention to himself, no humility, saying, um, I deserve special merit because I've done these extra things. So... In contrast, the tax collector who's standing a ways off does not even lift his eyes up to heaven but beats his chest saying, hey, God have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. So as we compare this to a couple of things, right? The Pharisee relied on his own power and his own deeds before God, but the tax collector relied on the mercy and compassion of God, totally two different things. Um, he recognizes that he's a sinner and that he needs the mercy of God. You know, you can imagine the Pharisee um, praying with his eloquent words and being all spiritual. And in contrast, the tax collector all awkwardly praying, but his prayer pleased God, right? The Pharisee thought he was better. And the tax collector thought he was not like other, other men and thought he was worse than them. In fact, he actually prays, um, the word he uses there, he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And in a, in a different translation, it says, God, have mercy on me, the sinner, like the sinner. I am the greatest sinner of them all. Now, um, there's a word here. Um, so the word used for mercy or merciful is, I can't say this word properly, but it's elaskamai. 
And it's a word, a Greek word that means atoning sacrifice. So the full sense of what this tax collector was saying, um, God be merciful to me through your atoning sacrifice for sins because I'm a sinner. So you do you see the depth of what this tax collector is understanding? He's saying the Pharisee was all about himself. Tax collectors say, I'm a son of God. I need your atoning sacrifice. I understand what that is. And the only other place that this word is used in the New Testament is in Hebrews um, 2.17, where it's used in the form of perpetuation. And perpetuation helps us understand what he's saying here. Perpetu- <laughs> say that three times fast. Uh, propitiation means satisfying the wrath of God by the atoning sacrifice of Jesus, right? So because of sin, there's a need because God is a righteous and just judge who cannot behold sin. We have this need for a savior, and Jesus is the one who is the propitiation of our sins. He is the atoning sacrifice that is the only one that could pay the price for the wrongness and the sin in our lives. So the tax collector, he gets it, right? He understands that there's nothing he can do in his own power, but rather just to come humbly before God. So the justification of the tax collector was immediate, right? He came humbly to God. On the, base of, on the basis of knowing that he needed Jesus as the atoning sacrifice and he was justified. Now, he didn't earn the justification. Um, he didn't have a preparation in a period. He was just simply justified. You know, he didn't say, um, God be merciful. I'm not a Pharisee. Um, God forgive me. You know, I'm a repentant sinner. He just said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And God saw that and, and recognized that, and he was justified and forgiven in that moment. So I think bottom line for this um, parable, you know, humbleness is something that God uh, values. Humbleness is essential. And... You know, the Pharisee saw himself as something or someone great when he wasn't. And the tax collector saw himself as a sinner needing God's mercy. And that's what true humbleness is, right? So we need to simply come um, humbly to God and he knows what we need. All right, we're doing okay so far? All right, so now whoever assigned us to the soap, Schedule should have known better than to give the children's pastor the, the verse that talks about um, children. So I'm going to take this advantage and actually talk to you guys why ministry to children matters today. So if you guys are okay, uh, Luke 18, 15 through 17 says this. Okay, uh, people were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on. When the, when the disciples saw this, they rebuked him. But Jesus called the children to him and said, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for the children of, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. So uh, this reference we find in three of the gospels, uh, Matthew, Luke, and Mark. And so we know that there's, 
Jesus places a lot of importance and value on children, right? He talks about it fairly often. And I want to talk to you a little bit about why this really matters. So, okay. So the first thing is uh, we have to remember that children are created to experience God. Um, Psalm 127, 3 says, children are gifts from the Lord. Um, children are created in God's image, right? And reflect his image. In Genesis 1, verse 27, it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. So do you believe that kids or children are created in God's image? Absolutely, right? We're all created in God's image. Um, children have the same uh, spiritual capacity as adults, right? There is no junior Holy Spirit, right? It's the same Holy Spirit that works in us and that works in them that is available to all people. Um, you know, I'm kind of using this as a, as a little bit of a soapbox here on why it's important to um, minister to children or uh, work with children. And there's so many things, right? Children are more receptive to the gospel at a young age without the barriers that adults have built over time, right? And so they just don't have the baggage. So the reason we invest in children young and teach them God's ways is because of that, because they are so much more open and they don't have all the baggage that, that we carry with us. Um, all right. So if we listen to this verse, according to Jesus, children have a lot to teach us, right? He says, unless you enter the kingdom of God like a child, you will never enter it. And so I think he's trying to teach us that there's a innocence and a childlike quality that comes in following Christ, right? We make it very complicated, but he's simply saying, you know, come like a child. And, you know, when, when a child comes to their parent, they just come open arms. You know, there's no reservations. And, and he's saying, come like that, because that's the way um, it's simple. It's not complicated. And just come and enter. Okay. Um, so Matthew 18 says the same thing. I'm going to skip this part. Okay. Now, I think another reason why Jesus says, you know, let the children come to me. Um, I think Jesus understood that the journey of life was going to challenge them. The journey of life was going to have hardships, right? And if you think about our kids today, um, I have a quote here from Professor George Barner who says, um, in the race to a child's heart, the first one there wins. Do you hear that? In a race to a child's heart, the first one there wins. So we are in a war with all the other voices, all the other influences that are in a child's life, right? And we want to get there first with the message of Jesus. So it really is a race uh, for their heart. Okay. Um, I'm losing my place here. Okay. A couple of interesting um, stats for you. I don't, I don't like to do a lot of stats, but it kind of helps us understand why this is important. 
um, by the age of five, a child's lifelong concept of God is formed. Just listen to that for a second. You know, they, well, they, their view of who God is is formed already by the age of five. Um, by the age of 13, a child's spiritual identity is set in place. It's really hard to change that once that's there, right? Some of you guys might remember um, several years back, they used to talk about the 414 window, which was a geographical region in the in the world, you know, latitude or longitude, I forget which one. But um, they used to talk about the largest unreached people group was people that live between the, in the 414 window. The same guy that wrote that, uh, came up with that concept a few years ago, revised that. And he said, the largest unreached uh, people group in the world is children ages 4 to 14. Consider that for a second, right? That is incredible. We have a huge mission in front of us. Um, the other thing that I think why Jesus focuses on the children and he says, you know, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And I think... Yeah, you know, Jesus probably knew that, you know, life wasn't going to become easier. The world we live in is completely broken, right? And children are more vulnerable to exploitation than ever before, right? Just look at the stuff they see on TV, at school, on their phones. I mean, it's incredible ungodly influences that are coming at them from all sides. And um, what is rooted in the heart of a child is almost impossible to uproot in the life of an adult. Just think about that. Those things that get placed in their hearts young, you know, it's so hard to get out of their lives um, when they get to our age, right? So very important to, to Jesus and to us. So what does this mean? It means that we have to give children and families the tools they need you know, so that they know how to be in the world, but not of the world. Um, Deuteronomy 6, let me just go down here. Deuteronomy 6 says the following, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. And so um, Moses said those words as the Israelites were about to enter the promised land. They had just come out of you know, the desert of 40 years. They would come out of this time of trial and tribulation. And they were heading into, you know, the land of milk and honey. And so Moses, as he addresses the people, says, remember, love the Lord your God with all your soul, strength, and mind. And these commands that I'm giving you today, repeat them again and again to your children, right? So he was saying, don't forget who brought you out of the desert. And the stories of what I've done for you, tell them to your children. Remind them. Remind them, because as you enter the land of milk and honey, things are going to be much easier. But remember who brought you through and tell their stories to the next generation. Repeat them again and again. 
And why does it matter? Well, it matters because of what Psalm 78 says, right? And Judges 2. Um, in Judges 2, it's, well, Psalm 78 says the same thing. Um, share the stories of God's goodness with the next generation. But in Judges 2, which is a very short time after the Israelites had entered into the promised land, we read the following. It says, after that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. All right. It took one generation for these people to lose faith. And so I think Jesus is saying, you know, we are one generation away from losing our faith. So let's teach our children. Let's invest in our children. They need to know who Jesus is, right? You still with me? Doing good? Great. So if I summarize that, he's command, he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so the next generation might know that they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation would set his hope anew on God. So a lot of depth in here today. Okay. I'm going to skip over there. All right. So children are the church of today. Let's invest in them because a lot is at stake. Okay, I'm going to move on to only have, well, we only have a minute or two left, so I'm not going to move on. So the next section there um, was about the rich young ruler. I'm going to cover this really quickly. Uh, let me just get back to my notes. Okay. So this guy comes to Jesus and says, um, let me just read a little bit here, uh, verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit it, eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. And he says, all these I've kept since I was a boy. He said, and when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And we notice verse 23, it becomes very sad, right? Because he was very wealthy. And, um, okay, so a couple of things real quick over here. So, this rich ruler has a value system issue, right? Um, his wealth is very important to him. And the idea of laying that down to follow Jesus does not appeal to him. And, um, uh, okay. So, Jesus was challenging his value system, right? He was challenging um, the way that he thought the law needed to be fulfilled in following the commandments. And he was saying, hey, forget about all of that. Um, give your money to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. But the rich ruler obviously fails that challenge, right? So there's a couple of things here. So this man had idols. He loved money, material things more than God. And I don't think... So there's a couple of examples here, right? 
well, is God saying this to everyone? You know, sell everything you have and come and follow me. No, he's saying, what are your idols? Lay those things down and make sure you put me first. Because there's many rich people that do a lot of good in the world with their money, right? It's not money that's bad. It's the love of money, right? That makes um, us lose our value system. So God is saying, you know, follow me. And I'm going to scroll down here. So I want to challenge you if you are doing the fast, you know, what is what is causing you sorrow when God says, come and follow me? So this rich young ruler was very sorrowful when Jesus said, you know, give everything away. But that's probably not what God is saying to you, right? Today he's probably saying, hey, hey, Doug, hey, Jenny. Hey, Diane. Hey, Cynthia. Um, I want you to lay something down. And it's personal for each one of us, right? It's personal. And so we need to get to that point where we go, yes, God, we love you more. We value our relationship with you more than the thing that you're asking us or the practice or whatever it is that you're asking us to lay down. So I just want to challenge you to be asking God and be to seeking him throughout this um fast to go, hey, what is it that you want to do in me? What is the spiritual or physical breakthrough that God wants to bring to you, right? Because I, I see the note there from Doug, you know, what's impossible for us, what's impossible with man is possible with God, right? Because God can do all things. So, hey, thanks for tuning in to guys. I'm going to pray and uh, I'm looking forward to hear what God is doing through you and in you. Okay. So let's pray. Hey, Father, we just thank you for um, your word today. We thank you for um, teaching us. We need to be persistent in prayer. We thank you that we can come to you um, like the tax collector. And Father, we thank you that um, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, that he is the ultimate sacrifice that we have. And so we are so excited that we can come to you. We thank you for the lessons you're teaching us. Father, we just pray that if there's something we could lay down, like the rich um, ruler, that you would show us that. And Father, we pray for breakthrough, and we pray for um, just growth, and we pray for spiritual and physical breakthrough for each one of us called today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.